Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Talk <laughs> Recorded live. Welcome to the Bigfoot Field Guide uh, radio show. We are hosted by the MABRC. I'm your host, Darren D.W. Darkwing Lee, and my co-host is Randy Driver Operator Harrington. Uh, We're both senior field researchers for the MABRC, and tonight we're going to actually have an open mic night where we're going to encourage all of our researchers to call in and just basically have a good little chat about Bigfoot research. We're also going to try out a few new things, and of course, you probably heard the intro. We we tried to change things up a little bit with a new program we're using. So from time to time, you'll hear some new uh, bits thrown in there to liven things up. So, Randy, you want to say hi to everybody? Yeah, you know, once again, I'm glad to be here, and uh, just want to let everybody know that uh, it's also going to be the type of show where you know it's not just talking about research, but uh, it, you know it's an open mic session. Uh, you know, really talking about anything goes. It's, you know, you can ask us anything uh, as well as, you know, your thoughts on what, what this animal is or any ideas, uh, throw anything out on the table. Uh, anything is open for discussion. So, and, uh, of course, uh, Sensor Tech has already joined us. He's our, uh, you, you could call him our James Bond Q for the MABRC. He's, he's our technical guru. So do you want to say hello to everybody, Carl? Hello, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, looks like we've got quite a few people already piling into the the chat rooms. Uh, I'd like to uh, do a little thing for uh, a fellow researcher out there that passed away on uh, February 29th for us. His name was Scott Norman. He was 45 from Fullerton, California, and... Uh, he actually would go to Africa looking for the, and I hope I say this right, the Mokele Mbembe, uh, basically a dinosaur that was supposed to be in the Congo area. So just uh, out of respect for Scott, we got a little something here that we want to do.
and uh of course uh I don't know how many people actually saw it, but uh he was actually featured on the cryptozoology episode of uh, the Penn and Teller show. So, he, you know, he was pretty well known out there. And of course our condolences go out to his family. Yeah, definitely. So now, on with the show here. Uh, like I said, we've got Sensor Tech, and uh, we like to get some other guys and girls in here. So uh, for any of you that are in the chat room, just uh, go down to the little dial info button there, and you can call in and uh, talk to us and ask your questions and discuss whatever you want. So I guess for right now, uh, to start off with, I guess we'll talk about uh, all the expeditions we've got that's coming up here in the next few months. Uh, We've got the one in Georgia coming up in April, and then we've got the one in Wisconsin coming up in May. So hopefully we'll have some uh, pretty good information coming in from those areas. You know, what's nice is uh, we've got some new members uh, on the MABRC who are gung-ho and ready to get out in the woods and and learn a thing or two about getting in the woods and doing some research, and they're, they're latching on to some seasoned researchers that we have, and, uh, I mean, they're ready to go. It's so exciting. It, it's almost contagious when, when you listen to these guys posting on chat, talking about they're, they're so anxious to get out there, and, and it's, it's nice to hear and, and be a part of somebody that we consider newbies, but yet, uh, you know, they are acting very professional and getting enough equipment together, and they're going to come back with some information, we hope. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, even us old-timers are actually learning a few things from these these new folks coming on board. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing how much information we've been sharing. So Yeah, uh, that's key. Yeah. And, I mean, like sensor tech. When sensor tech come on board, we didn't even think about using sensors in the field for this, and I think we've done pretty good uh, using those sensor ideas out in the field. Well, you know, it's nice having somebody along that uh, actually can understand all that equipment. I mean, I'm I am as generic as it comes. I mean, just a, just a straight up digital camera and maybe a camcorder, and anything beyond that is, is out of my area of expertise. So it's nice to have somebody that can explain things to you and bring and bring things to the table that can really go above and beyond what has been used up to this point, and really those are the kind of things that's going to have to be done, you know, if we're going to get any further along in this research. Definitely. So, uh, Carl, how did you uh, how did you feel about your uh, sensors on the last expedition? Did they they work to your expectations? Yeah, they worked like I expected. I am still looking to increase the ranges on them. And hopefully sometime we'll get some dry area we can put the, the seismics in. Yeah, I'm really interested to see those those seismic sensors work. Yeah, and you know, if, if, if we've got listeners, if we've got listeners that are listening right now, uh, the seismic sensors are, are things that are going to be buried in the ground, and, and uh, they they're activated from vibrations in the ground, and. What's amazing is for so long we, we've all been dealing with things that we know that these animals can see, whether it's game cameras or you know 
trip wires and things like that that you, you kind of set these booby trap things out and all of these are things that these animals can see and they have shown themselves to be extremely capable of noticing things in the woods things in their area and they avoid them so this will give us a tool that can be placed underground and we'll just notice when they come by so we're going to really have to start thinking out of the realm of what we've been doing up to this point in order to you know, stay on top of these animals. And, and I think a seismic sensor is unbelievable. Yeah, and what what got me was uh, the household materials pretty much that he used to make these. I mean, that just really impressed me right there. How about have some better geophones? Some surplus ones. Yeah. It'll do a lot better. The, the shaker flashlights are good, but these when you can get them, are much better. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to... Now, do you got a source that you can get these from? Yes, I get them from... Let me get this right. BG Micro. They're an electronics firm, and they... I don't know where they get them. They, they're used. They still work. And they come with a little... Or, and a power supply. But as far as I'm concerned, I just attach a wire to it, and I have my own circuit that is very low current. So a 9-volt battery can drive it for quite a long time. I, I've got to get that on the, on the forum. I keep thinking that. Yeah, we... Uh, I'm not sure if we actually have pictures of the... The sensors that you used are the the original sensors that you put together on the form. Uh, we're going to have to check that out and see because I, I, I know you, camera. I know how to use it. I'm working on something else that we talked about when we were out at uh, Bulletmaker's place. If a trail camera doesn't capture anything right in front of it, what set it off? And if something set it off and is passed right in front, how about making one with two cameras that are looking at 45-degree angles either side? Okay. That way, yeah. something, yeah, something sets it off, you look either side. runs right through it. That makes sense. Why one camera? Do two. Now, are are you going to try to set these up to both go off at the same time? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, even so, whatever, if, so, so the motion the motion detector is going to be in the center of the two cameras, and the two cameras are going to be facing forty five degrees out. So, anything that breaks that beam in the middle will get caught by either one of the cameras if 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 we seem to be missing them by a few seconds. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, See that work in the field. You're hoping. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, folks, uh, like I said, if you want to call in, uh, if you if you want, uh, I think we probably need to to post our uh, number here somewhere for everybody to see. Uh, yeah, that'll work. Yeah. <coughs> Well, hey, you know, I'd like to throw something out there. I mean, it's not uh, research-related, but it's it's more along the lines of 
giving somebody something to think about. And, and you never know. I mean, it, people don't have to call in. They can actually just go ahead and post a question on, on either the MABRC chat or the chat here for the uh, talk show. Uh, but, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking a lot about uh, language. Uh, it, it's been a topic that's come up quite a bit in our uh, forum. Uh, there was a thread uh, on that. And I've asked a couple of other radio show participants uh, this past week what their views were on language. And, you know, I've sat and listened to the Sierra Sounds in, in great detail. And, and you listen to Alan Berry uh, talk about it. And, you know, he truly believes that, that they've got some type of language. He talked about the sadness over time uh, in, in one of the, the animal's vocalizations. And, uh, you know, I think about how elusive these animals are and, and how smart they are and how they work in, in groups to hunt and, and they work in groups when they're coming around a campsite and they, and they, they have so many nonverbal communications and a lot of vocalization and a lot of mimicry. Uh, but there's been so many reports of, of possible language or gibberish or Japanese or samurai-type talking, uh, you know, people arguing is what it sounded like. Uh, and, and I'm just amazed. You know, when I think about the youngsters of, of this species and how uh, even one of our own members was talking about seeing a youngster uh, that was leaving its mother and it kept looking back at its mother and then looked back at him and, and moved 10 feet more forward and then looked back at its mother. And the reason a young one would look back at the mother constantly is because it has to be disciplined. And in order to be disciplined, to know that if it wasn't doing something right, the mother would whoop a tiny or whatever, cuff it on the back of the head. I, mean, I just can't imagine them being able to do that with grunts and, and whistles and, and hoots. I, I, I just... I've really come to believe that they have to have some kind of language. And, and I, I can't be alone in this thought. I, I know other people have got to agree with that, but, but I'd like to open that up to, you know, for dialogue at some point. I mean, yeah. uh, I don't know. Well, you know, I, I don't think it's a language in the sense that everybody thinks about. You know, I think they've got a form of communication that they use. And... uh let me let me stop here just a second. I think we've got Bullet on the line. Bullet, are you there? Yo, what's going on, guys? No, I'm hey, Doug. <laughs> so. Hey, uh, are you not getting uh, my feedback? Am I too close to the computer? No, it sounds like you're all right. Okay, good. Did you hear my question, Doug? I I just got on. I was having a hard time getting on. Uh, something about the speech of the Bigfoot. Is that what it was? Yeah, what, what's your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think, I, mean, I, I truly believe that they've got a language. I just can't believe that they're as simple as, you know, people make them out to be with just some hoots and hollers and grunts and whistles and some tree knocks. I, I, I can't believe that they could not be as elusive as they have been and been able to survive in, in our society without having a language. I do believe they have a language. What do you think? Uh, yes, I, I think they do now. Uh, I'll tell you. I tell you why I think that. Uh, as uh, as I've told my listeners time again, I've I've been uh, out here 22 years amongst these creatures, and uh, you know, uh, Randy, you and I have, uh, along with the other hunters that's come out, uh, when we go down them bottoms uh, and up on the hill, there's certain sounds that we hear that we can contribute 
to Bigfoot. Uh, I know there's a lot of distractors out there in listening land that, that may disagree with us, but, but we're out there all the time uh, looking and listening at these creatures. And it's just like that one particular night uh, years ago when I was down the bottoms and uh, and uh, this creature came up and sounded like, uh, I've always described it as a 500-pound peacock on steroids, and we watched him make that sound. He ran from us when we approached where he was at. So we know that they make a, a shrill sound like a peacock. Um, I haven't had a chance to put this story online yet, but, but Randy, you're aware of the interview I had with the lady up at Owada. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, for for the listeners uh, that doesn't know this story, I interviewed a woman up in No Water that had a, I guess you'd call it a, what do you call it, Randy, a habituation process? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Even though she wasn't habituating them, they were coming onto her property and eating from her fruit trees. She had a lot of fruit-bearing bushes and trees as well as sweet feed in the in the uh, horse barn, and they were caught several times in the barn eating sweet feed. So, so they habituated themselves to her property, whether she meant to or not. That's correct. And uh, she told me one time uh, during the interview with her uh, um, that uh, there was one particular night she was standing uh, at a distance from from them. She had gradually gained their trust. It was a male. A female and and two young bigfoots, two uh, oh you know like adolescents, maybe uh, four foot tall. And as the as the mother was was getting some berries off of her off the ladies' vines there at back of the barn, uh, the two kids, the two adolescents, was walking towards a busy highway. It was at nighttime, and she said mother just simply slapped her thigh slapped the side of her thigh with her big hand, and those little babies ran all the way back to her as fast as they could and hung on to her leg. So that was uh, that was communications. Yeah, but what's amazing is you can only imagine what happened up until that kind of training was initiated. There had to have been times when they didn't know what a leg slap was, and they must have got their butt whoops, whooped or something, some sort of discipline along with that in, in order to make sure that they would absolutely comply with a leg slap. A leg slap means get your butt over here and grab onto my leg because you're, there's danger. Absolutely. We can, we all had grandmothers, of course. And you remember our, our mothers or our grandmothers when we were doing something uh, erroneously, they would clap their hands and point their finger at us like, you get over here right now and clap their hands. Well, this this uh, Bigfoot, this this uh, female Bigfoot, basically did the same thing, only she slapped her thigh, but it was a universal message to get back over here right now. Yeah. And, you know, while we're talking about that, uh, that lady, uh, Margie, I believe was her name, uh, yeah. you know, what about where she talked about the, the male Bigfoot that uh, came around on the front porch, or it was either the front porch or the back porch, and was peeing all over the porch? Uh, yeah. That's an inter- interesting behavior along with the story that she told, made me think that all of a sudden, here's a woman that they have allowed to step out onto the porch and watch them many, many nights. So he kind of accepted her as part of his little group in the backyard. So one night when she allows a couple of teenage boys step out with her who were 
friends of her son, then all of a sudden this male gets upset, and a little later she catches him peeing all over her front porch. That behavior is very interesting. I've never heard that before, and to have this woman tell that story is, is pretty enlightening of, of, of this male's uh, uh, thought processes towards her as his property, probably. Uh, absolutely correct. Uh, also, we all know how dogs uh, will mark their territory by hiking their leg. So, therefore, what she said went right along with the animal kingdom of marking their territory. Hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, bucks, uh, as in deer, deer, uh, the bucks, they'll do basically the same thing. I guess just about every animal will mark their territory that this is their boundary so that when any other males come across that scent, they know that this territory belongs to someone else. So, so you know, we were talking about communications. Do, do the Bigfoots have communications? I would say, yes, they have several forms of communications, including to whistling. I've heard them whistle before. Um, yeah. And Margie gave a lot of demonstrations of the different vocalizations that she heard, and uh, one of them was whistling, of course. Yeah, but when I when I go back to the Sierra sounds, if they are true, and and you know, and he lays it out there, Alan Berry lays that out there, and he says with today's, you know, they're thirty years old. Those those are thirty year old recordings, and he's saying as technology grows and and people get smarter and smarter and, and can take these audio and 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 study them, he he still challenges people to you know, prove that this came from a person. He said, because they didn't. Uh, you know, so so I, for one, I'm fully convinced that the Sierra Sounds are the, the real deal. They're legitimate for all the time and effort that they spent in these uh, deer hunting camps, and they even brought people up there. I, I, I think they're real. And when you hear those long vocalizations that clearly have some type of enunciation, some type of gibberish, some type of you know, and, and I I have to say it's language. I mean, I just truly think that that was too complex in just that one scenario. I think it was too complex to be just uh, something that you know that they say over and over again, like a like a whoop or or a hoot. Absolutely, oh, yeah. You know, they have. I I think they make a lot of different sounds that that we that all of us really have not heard yet, such as the coughing sound. Now, I, I reported in one of my reports there how me and my uh, stepson had sat in a tree after we witnessed a Bigfoot, uh, went by him, this Bigfoot that was only 12 feet from us, and, and Bart kept saying it was a, a trespasser, a person down there in the woods. I said, no, that is a Bigfoot. And, it, and when we got up in the tree, this thing started coughing like it had TB. And if someone was in the woods and didn't see that Bigfoot, and it being night, like in the case it was, they would think there was another human being over there coughing, a chain smoker cough. And it wasn't. This Bigfoot sounded just like a human as it coughed. So if it sounds like a human when it coughs, what other vocalizations does it make that, we, that we're not aware of? Yeah. Well, you know, we've got a guest coming on here pretty soon to this radio show called Radmo Hunter, and and I know, uh, for one, that he had had an incident in his area where he thought it sounded like Japanese, where he thought he had two poachers on his land where he's got his cabin that were arguing in Japanese, 
and and I hope I've got the story correct, but he said that when he hollered out his window of his cabin, it wasn't a few minutes later something moved into the view of the window and blocked out all the moonlight and, and just you know just completely darkened the whole window frame uh peering you know peering into the cabin or whatever so you know i I don't know I mean I don't know if anybody even really wants to talk about that, but it seems like i I get a lot of people just that just can't believe that they would have a language and i just I'm having a hard time believing that how can they not have a language and get to the point where they are at today and still be remain hidden? Well, guys, I want to interject here for just a second. Uh, Grizzly Adams asked in the uh, MABRC chat room uh, for a sensor about his uh, the range on his seismic sensors. Uh, I need to get that in there real quick because we done went about two pages down on the chat with it already. So. Oh, yeah. So, Carl, can you uh, elaborate on the range on your uh, seismic sensors? I haven't really tried them yet. I imagine if something comes stumping around, it'll be oh, 10, 15 feet at least. 15 feet within the range of the sensor itself? Yeah. So, like I said, I haven't, I haven't tried it. Well, that would still be good to be able to put something like that on a a, a trail, so you know that they were coming up. Oh. We have yes. Is there any limit to if you have the right equipment? Is there any limit to the range, or, or what do you think is the the practical limit of the range? The practical limit it really would depend a lot on the soil or the rock, if it's put on rock, it's going to pick up the vibrations. If it's put on soil, it's going to be really bad. Like, forget sand. Don't even put it in sand. Yeah. But still, go ahead. Yep, if you have a choke point where you know, where you're pretty sure they're coming through, you should be able to pick them up. Plus, you can put more than one out at the same spot. So you cover a larger area. So basically, you could daisy chain them and, and do pretty good. That's kind of like what we were talking about at one time, Randy, about, uh, you know, two of us drop off from hiking with a, a group, you know, and when they tried to go around one, they'd run into the other. Yeah. So that would be probably what we're talking about here with the sensors. You know, put them to where they might go around one, but another one would get them. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about it. I just wish we could have tried it out on our last expedition, but it was too wet. Wow. Let's see. Uh... Grizzly comes back and asks, uh, he was wondering about the loud thuds we heard hitting the ground in January. Would they pick up the thuds? I think they probably would have, wouldn't they, Carl? Uh, not unless they were close by. Yeah. Well, if I remember right, wasn't the thuds right behind the tents? I don't remember. I was sick most of that weekend. So... Well, it looks like 
I think we're getting close to breaking an all-time record over here on the the forum. <laughs> We've got 20 people online, 20, 20 people, and we're seven short of having breaking the record. Wow. So, uh, but yeah, we're uh, we're going to have to get sensor back up there to to Bullet's place whenever it's pretty dry. Uh, Bullet, are y'all getting any of that snow up there? Uh, no, I think I think we're going to look out there. They're projecting it so far. It's all kind of going to be tossed in the south. So looks like we missed that silver bullet two, uh, twice in a row now. Yeah, we, we got just enough to get the kids excited about no school tomorrow, and then it <laughs> went away. So, but anyway... Getting uh, oh, Andy Drew asked from the chat room: Has anyone used these sensors with computers to monitor with? And I I think Carl that you was telling me something to the effect that you were wanting to try to hook them up to a uh, computer so you could keep a uh, timeline going on them. I would love to do that. The company I work for has a program like that for their sensors. And it actually logs the sensor and the time it was stripped. And I'm trying hard to find out, figure out some way of doing it with these. I would love to. So, matter of fact, uh, if I can remember to do it tomorrow, uh, I've got a couple of. Uh, uh, websites I'll send you that has uh, some equipment. You might already have them, but uh, they've got the uh, the card interfaces that let you hook stuff up to your computer and everything. So I'll, I'll get them sent over to you tomorrow, and maybe there's something there that'll help you. Okay. Thanks. So, yeah, <laughs> Great Pumpkin is... Uh, Saying uh, talk shoe is ugly tonight. <laughs> Apparently, they're having problems with the uh, the chat room. So apparently, uh, they can hear the talking, but they're having a hard time chatting. So, folks, I apologize that talk shoes having problems. Uh, of course, as long as we seems, keep talking, seems to be pretty regular. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I, I think it's because it's all new technology. Maybe we uh, we we've looked at alternatives to talk shoe, but since we're already on show nine, it'd be kind of hard to switch and everybody follow us. So, okay, that's I'm seeing over here uh, on the MABRC chat room. Everybody's saying that's why they're over on our chat room tonight. So, folks, uh, as always, we actually monitor both uh, chat rooms. We would like for everybody, you know, if, if you guys want to call in, you know, we'd appreciate you calling in, talking about stuff with us. Uh, I mean, I see Whammy9, he's online, Squatch Seeker is online, uh, Great Pumpkin, Soonerborn, Eager Beaver, Wildman. Uh, I mean, come on, guys. 
uh, call on in and let's do some chatting here. Uh, Darren? Yeah. You might let people know that if they get a headset with a microphone, they can talk through their computer. That's how I'm working now. They don't have to actually call on the telephone. Yeah, you you don't have to. You can actually hit the uh, shoe phone connect down there in the bottom. The only problem for me is, since I'm the host of the show, i got to hit a little button, and the only way I can do that is if I'm calling in on the phone. So, <laughs> But uh, we've actually got some... Uh, Grizzly Adams says he'd like to hear about some of the activity going on in other areas. And uh, we've actually got quite a bit of activity going on. We've got a... Uh, pretty good uh, incident up in Kentucky that we've got a team working on. They've uh, sent up a high-quality camera up there to replace the one that the people had, and they've uh, they've had some interesting things happen up there. Uh, I see uh, Sasquatch found says that uh, it's going real good on that investigation and hopefully before too long we can start releasing more details to everybody and uh, about what all is going on up there. So we really can't uh, give the listeners, because there's going to be other listeners besides our MABRC members that would uh, it'd be nice if we could kind of give them a little bit of, a tidbit of information about possibly a little bit of the activity without actually jeopardizing anything that's going on there? Yeah, I think we actually could. Uh, I don't think it would kill the investigation to mention this. We've we've had a family that has had two Bigfoot coming up to their home on multiple occasions, and they found footprints, and the, the landowner has actually seen one. And I think we can actually talk about that little sighting. And forgive me if I get this wrong, guys, but apparently he heard something messing around behind his garage one night. And when he went to the door, he seen what he thought might have been a bear from the back of it. So he he whistled. And when he whistled, this Bigfoot leaned around the corner and looked at him. And I can't remember all the details, but apparently... The Bigfoot went after it, looked at him, just proceeded to walk off without any real rush to him. So. And the area the area that it walked off is where the gentleman had a camera, but his camera was a low-quality, low-cost camera that didn't have much night shot capability. Uh, so he was excited at first because the, the Bigfoot had walked in the direction that he had his camera. So his, his problem is, he needed a better camera, so we immediately uh, had one of our members, researchers, uh, get a camera to him, a, a higher quality night vision camera, and has got it set up there currently. So it's an ongoing uh, investigation, and we really hope that it uh, is is fruitful. Yeah, and uh, I, I've got to say it's it's the same camera that we used on the January expedition, and it was so good at seeing so far out there with infrared that we aimed it at the cliff top above us uh, on the other side of the creek from us. 
That way, if anything come up on top of that cliff there to watch us, we was going to get it on camera. And, of course, as is the par for, for all the video that we seem to get, we keep, uh, I'm still going through the process of watching it. I think we've got close to 300 hours of video just to go through. Man, and, and you know, and, and true to the Bigfoot's capabilities, uh, it, it seems to be that they are approaching from a different area now on that gentleman's property. So, once again, they recognize that there's something there that they want to avoid, whether it's a camera, something with infrared, whatever the reason, they seem to be somewhat shunning that area right now. So, it's just it's just a catch-22. I mean, you just keep experimenting, and, and basically all we're doing is finding out what they don't like. Yeah. Well, you know, it all goes into the big picture. Uh, it's just like all the reports that that Bullet has let us in on over the years, you know, that he's collected. We we take bits and pieces of each report, and it fits into the bigger puzzle. Yeah. So, you know, like we, we know that they they do use subterfuge to get closer to you. Uh, for instance, last year's February expedition, you know, they come right from the direction of the generator. That generator was covering the noise that they were making as they come up to us. Yeah. So. Is, uh, is Soonertech still on? Spencer, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. So, yeah, Doug was wanting to make sure you were still with us. Oh, I got oh, a yes. question. I got a question asking. Um, I've, uh, since tech, I've I've got one of those uh, driveway announcers. It's the range of it's almost 200 yards, and anytime anybody pulls off the blacktop road, it buzzes my house down here. It's it's wireless, and you can put four of those uh, alert systems on one on one uh, receiver, which would be. Uh, have you have you heard or seen anything about those? I've looked into them. Um, it would be fine if I'm not quite sure whether yours. I I hope it's a motion detector. If it is, it's um, it should be able to detect a warm body. Have you ever walked past it and see if it picked you up? Yeah. Um... You uh, you can drive a car by it. Uh, anything that walks by it, it's uh, I guess you'd call it infrared. It it gets your I don't know if it's motion or heat. Uh, I bought it at uh, I've had it for two years, and I bought them down there at Atwoods. Or no, let's see, Radio Shack was selling them for seventy nine dollars, and uh, they're they're pretty neat. Uh, the only drawback is at nighttime the uh, the deer run through here, and they'll keep me up all night running back and forth. Gee, if I don't think Radio Shack has them anymore, but yeah, if anybody else has them, that sounds like a good thing to have. I didn't know if you was aware of them. Next time you're up, I'll sh- <coughs> I'll show you what I'm talking about. But they are wireless. Uh, they are line of sight, of course. Uh, but mine's. Uh, 
mine's down there 150 yards down the driveway, so uh, that gives you a pretty good warning uh, when something's approaching. I saw it when we came in. I figured that's what it was. What do you use for a battery on it? It it runs off of a 9-volt battery, and that, that thing lasts about six months. Oh, great. Wow. Yeah, and the uh, the one here at the house, the receiver, I call it, <coughs> uh, it also runs off of a 9-volt battery, and they, they run forever, it seems like. But... Uh, you can you can buy an additional three to go with this receiver, so so it'll run four of those uh, I guess you'd call them projectors. That runs four of them at one time, so you could literally uh, almost surround yourself uh, with these with these things. Shoot, yeah. Uh, do they have? Uh, oh, do they have something that can? can tell that it's a specific one that's being activated? Uh, yes, it does. They have different uh, different uh, tone levels, so you can tell from which direction the subject's coming from. If you took three more of those and set out there within 200 yards and left them, your animals out there would eventually ignore them. Yeah, I'd well, I, I don't I don't know because uh, I can't say that uh, for sure because uh, <clears throat> this one I have here at the house at the end of the driveway, uh, it will consistently go off. And uh, one night it, it went off about 15 different times. So I set a uh, Moultrie game camera up down there the next day and uh, the next night. So I'm getting all sorts of pictures of deer. It was the deer setting them off, and uh, they continuously still come back. You can set those up, but you can set them up higher and use a piece of electrician's tape to cover the bottom half, so it will take. So we'll only see something that is taller. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I just find it interesting, though, that. Uh, they seem to work pretty well for such a, a cheap setup. You know, they were, like I said, uh, seventy-nine dollars for 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 a complete unit. Um, and I like to set them up about three feet off the ground because, you know, Bigfoot could be walking by and uh, in a, well, the, you know, uh, you know, his mode four four step four by, mode or four by four, four by four, and I might uh, I might miss him if I had it set up higher. Well, this is what I'm trying to get people to recognize. Sensors don't have to be expensive. You can use cheaper stuff, and it works just as well. Well, I didn't know if you was if you had seen these. Uh, next time you come out, uh, you know, I'll show it to you. Uh, like I say, I can buy the additional sensors. I can buy three more sensors to go with it and set up a perimeter. Which I, what the thing I liked about them was that they were wireless, so you didn't have to mess with all the cables and stuff. Right. I know Darren is putting some motion detectors on his trailer. If he had a set of these, he could also put them out farther away from his trailer so he could 
pretty much notice of anything that's coming around. Yeah, basically what I've done is I've put about 75 feet of uh, Cat5 cable hooked up to them, and that way I can run them out, and I'm fixing them to where they're mounted on a a stake that I can just go out there and drop in the ground, and it keeps them about six feet high, so it has maximum coverage area. So I can actually go and do like you said a while ago. If I know where there's a choke point at, where I can expect them to come through, I can put my my motion sensors in that area. So, uh, matter of fact, I need to take a picture of uh, of the finished. Uh, I've actually got a little console that's about eight inches by three inches wide, and it's got four lights on it. And each one goes to a different sensor. And, of course, these sensors are always closed. In other words, the, they always keep the light on. So what we do is we just set this up there on the, the table inside the trailer. And when you see one of those lights go off, you know something's been tripped. That's great. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, of course, I, I wish I could hook it up to a computer like you know, we've been talking about. So, you know, while I'm asleep, I don't have to worry about keeping an eye on that light. But right now, you know, you're sitting there, you got these sensors on the outside. If something gets up close in an area where you don't have a camera situated, you know where they're actually coming up at. So, but I, oh. I really need to get pictures of that on the forum so everybody can see what they look like. I'd like to break in here for just a moment and say that there's only the only see crickets on. I don't know where all the other women went to. Usually we have a slew of women and crickets on there. Crickets, call in, ask us some questions. And Duke, there's Duke on there. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, of course, Eager Beaver. He he put a link up about some driveway uh, alarms. Oh. Uh, Homer, if you get a chance, why don't you send that to everybody in a PM so we can go check it out? You know, I don't think people realize, you know, whether they're listening or or if they're actually actively researching, I don't think they realize how much downtime that you actually have when you're out in the field doing research. I mean, once you get everything set up, I mean, it's, it's even hard work carrying everything in that you want to use, and you get everything set up, and Really, the only technical thing that I use is, is a parabolic, and so I'll I'll lay back in the dark and, and I'll listen to my parabolic for hours and hours and hours. I can only imagine having to watch a, a monitor board with lights and and uh, really it it there's nothing fun about sitting in the dark, especially on a dead night when nothing happens. I mean, and and then you you know you stay up all night long and you have to sleep half the next day just to catch back up on your sleep. I mean, it, it's a it's a vicious cycle when you're out for a four or five day. Uh, expedition, and then you're trying to stay up all night, and then you don't have time during the day to set anything up because you need your sleep. It's just a, it's just not real fun uh, when you, you know, because a lot of times I'll do it by myself. But I don't think people really know the effort that you put in for that one moment of excitement that you occasionally get. Yeah, because last year uh, when we got the camera picked up, I think we spent about two and a half hours getting everything set up and prepped and ready to go. And then it took about a month of just sitting there watching the video afterwards. So yeah, 
you know, uh, it's kind of like, uh, I'm going to bring this up, the the Ghost Hunters show that they got on uh, Sci-Fi Channel. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, they, they always show them uh, encountering something or, you know, something comes up and touches them on the shoulder and stuff. But folks have got to remember, these guys are doing this for like a 12-hour stretch, and all they're doing is just showing you the, the high points of what happened. So, you know, Absolutely. yeah, everybody's sitting there thinking, oh, man, these guys got all this stuff going on. No, they probably went two or three hours before they had something happen to them. And that's the same with us, you know. We can go out there and sit for three or four days and nothing happened. And then one night, you know, something happens. And to us, you know, that's what that's what makes us, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, worthwhile? Yeah, that's our worthwhile event. You know, we sit out there all this stuff, you know, set it all up, set out there all this time just for one thing to happen. And then there's lots of times we go out, nothing does happen. Well, you know, I've I've learned to, to thrive off just the anticipation. I mean, I get so excited. I can't wait for the next time to get there. And, you know, and, and oftentimes it is a dry run. Most of the time you do come out and, and hear nothing that, that can really – uh, you know, help you out. So the, the dry runs, you can't count the dry runs that you have. But every time I go out, I think it's going to be the next big adventure, the next big breakthrough, and, and you live for that hope. And so it's really the anticipation and the excitement building up to it that, that makes it exciting. I mean, you know, the time out there certainly isn't. But uh, every so often, you get something that happens that that really makes it worthwhile. And, you know, and the forum makes it a lot easier because, you know, you get in here with like-minded people and, and you're all interested in the same thing. I mean, it, it's really turned into a good community. And, uh, you know, and that helps make it worth it, too, because you, you can bring back the results of what you've done and, and share it with everybody. And speaking of the forum, we better throw out the, the address there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, for, for anybody that wants to come to the forum or to the website, uh, you can go to www dot mid dash america bigfoot dot com and that will take you to our portal page and from there you can either go to our uh website you can go to the forum or you can go to our training facility and of course our training facility is where we actually train everybody to be better researchers and analysts so yeah you know and, and putting a plug in for that training facility it's what we all do naturally anyways Anybody that's interested in this subject is going to get interested in it and start searching online. I mean, I know I did, and, and just about everybody that I talked to has has done it the same way, where you start reading books, then you start getting online, you read thousands of reports, and you start visiting forums and all the websites, and you basically teach yourself, learn yourself about this animal and, and its behaviors and, and everything that's gone on with research up to that point. And what our training facility does is it streamlines that to where it doesn't take a year or two of you doing a whole bunch of work on your own before you're ready to, to step into the woods and, and actually do some research. Uh, it, it, it brings you up to, up to par on the history, terminology, report writing, uh, track casting, you know, all of the things involved with research. That's what this training facility does, and it, it really is groundbreaking. Uh, so you'd be doing yourself a, a great uh, favor and, and uh, 
come to our website and uh, enroll in, in the training facility. And it's uh, certified. It's not accredited. It's not college, but it is certified, and you will get certifications after each one passed, uh, which will give you some validity, uh, you know, to, to know that you are ready to, to get out into the woods and, and do some actual research. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we've got new courses going online. Uh, I've got about four new ones that I've got to upload and go online with. So, you know, just just because uh, you don't see that many classes on there, you know, give us a week or so. There will be some more new classes in there. And, you know, it's just a continuing effort on our part to keep putting this stuff together. So, And uh, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, teaching research and stuff, uh, we've actually come up with a new theme for the 2008 Hanobi Bigfoot Conference. And I'd like to touch on that. We're actually uh, going to have as our theme how to do your own research. And what we're going to do there is we're going to do presentations and uh, posters and stuff like that showing folks how to actually start doing their own research as far as Bigfoot research. So I, I think everybody will get a big big kick out of that that shows up for the conference. No, I, I think it's going to be a, a a big improvement, you know, this at this year's conference over last year. And, of course, last year's was a huge improvement over the year before that. So, you know, and that's really what we're hoping for. Just every year it gets better and better. And the icing on the cake is the conference is in smack dab center of of activity you would not believe. It's just very mountainous areas, lots and lots of logging roads that get little to no traffic. Uh, so you can find a nice place up on the mountains there to, to camp. And if you're there for a few days, there is a high probability that something will take notice of you camping there. So it's a great area to, to not only come to the conference, but to squeeze in a little research while you're there because there, you can make something happen in the woods around there. So uh, you should really find a way to fit that into your schedule for this October. Yeah. Do, I, we have the, do we have the dates on that? Uh, yeah, I believe it's the 4th and 5th of October. Let me go and make sure here on the form. So it would be the first Friday and Saturday, so that, so that weekend. But, of course, yeah. uh, you know, us, us hardcore people that don't mind going four, five, six days without a shower, we'll be there for a week afterwards. <laughs> Uh, so if you happen to see a, a Bigfoot come out of the woods holding his nose, then he's probably got too close to uh, Randy. So, Come on now. I don't see. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, well, I thought I had it here. Uh, looks like the 5th and 6th. Or, no. Man, I got so many dates here. October 3rd and 4th. And that's the first Friday and Saturday. So, uh, and of course, uh, the keynote speaker this year is going to be Dr. Jeff Meldrum. And my current plans is that I think the MABRC is going to try to kidnap him and take him up for at least one night of research with us. <laughs> so, you know, I think it would be great to have him up there and show him, you know, how us Oklahoma boys actually do research. Well, I'm going to make sure that I'm uh, hovering around behind him so that every picture that's taken has got me with him. Okay. <laughs> Whether he likes it or not. So, but, yeah, I, I think it'll be a great great time. And, 
you know, of course, last year we we found out within just a few weeks ahead of it that it was our baby to run with, so we didn't have as much time to prepare as we wanted to. But this time we've got over a year to prepare for it, and I, I think things are really going good with it. Yeah. Well, you know, and a lot of preparation is just spending more time in research because you can easily get up in an impromptu situation, and if you've got a lot of experiences in the woods and a lot of research experience, then you shouldn't have a problem talking for a while about any of those subjects. But like you said last year, we were we were caught totally unawares because we were thought, we were thinking someone else was going to be in charge of it, and then all of a sudden a, a month or two out it was dropped in our lap. So we really had to formulate a plan and put some things together that looked professional but clearly was not. Uh, we, 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 we looked like the Keystone Cops most of the time trying to get things together, but we did the best we could with what we had in the time frame we had to work with. And so I think it was very successful, and hopefully this year we'll, we'll show a more professional side because we have more time to plan on it. Yeah, and, you know, we, we had over 400 people show up for the conference. And, you know, there's some of these bigger conferences that boast, you know, a 1,000 people that's been going on for two or three years. But for our first year to have 400 people there, you know, that was just exciting right there. Yeah, and you know what was amazing is uh, after almost every uh, presentation at the conference, we were bombarded with locals, and, and not even locals, people who had driven 30, 40, 50 miles to come there were standing at the door, couldn't wait for you to step outside so they could talk to you about their sighting or, or their encounter. And, and so there are a lot of people that really do want to talk about it, but they're just waiting for the right time, and, and they, they need to feel comfortable. And they like to know that there's other people having encounters too before they lay what's happened to them out uh, for dissection. So uh, keep that in mind, that there's going to be a lot of people at the conference who have seen these animals and who are having ongoing activity, and that in itself is exciting. Oh, yeah. I mean... Last year we had a gentleman tell us about uh, a female Bigfoot that they had shot at that had a young one on its back. And, I mean, you know, now this may sound bad to a lot of people that, you know, heaven forbid a small one got shot, but these guys took shots at it and actually hit the baby instead, and they found the skeleton, what was it, three or four months later? Yeah. And uh, they, they... they called the sheriff's department out, and, you know, it was obvious it wasn't a human skeleton, but then they sent it they, off. They, they, they roped off the area, called in some state people, and then that's the last they heard of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and But they had to call. They had to call uh, the state police because the skeleton looked so human-like that, that you, I mean, you couldn't possibly collect it as evidence and not, make sure it wasn't human and that's what they tried to do and then next thing you know they were shut out of the investigation and never heard about it again but you know even though that was, is more of the macabre you know that that that's really out of the ordinary type of encounter uh you know there's a gentleman that lives just outside of honubi as a matter of fact in 2001 he had an, a, a bfro expedition where he has a cabin on some land and uh, they had some activity during the bfro expedition and he has had activity at that cabin since then. His, he has a son-in-law who, or a son who is a military guy who was uh, in a tree stand by that cabin and saw a young, what he described as a chimp in, in a tree looking at him. Uh, and then, then it took off through the branches, and, and he only described it as looking like a chimp. And the same gentleman uh, told me that he heard 
about 4 o'clock in the morning, a couple of mornings before the conference, he's got a long driveway from Blacktop to his house through the woods. And he said he woke up about 2 or 3 in the morning to what sounded like two women arguing in his, in his uh, driveway. And he said he came out onto the porch and fired his gun into the air, and then they left. But he said if he, if he could have only thought it through, that he should have known that it wasn't people at, you know, in the middle of the night in his driveway arguing, he, he should have known what it was because he's had so much activity there. And he says if he could do it again, he, he wouldn't go out and fire his gun because he, he didn't want to scare him away. But, so there's clearly some ongoing stuff happening there. And if you just pay attention and get out in the woods and spend a few hours, you may be one of the lucky ones. Well, you know, going back to the, the story about the female and the, one, the young one getting shot, you know, yeah, it's it's bad to hear that, but there's something there, and this bullet tells us all the time, there's something to learn from each story. And what this story tells me is, here was a female in 4 by 4 mode carrying its young on its back, just like a, uh, a gorilla or a uh, chimp would do with their young. Yeah. So, you know, that, that goes back and gives more reinforcement to the fact that, you know, the Bigfoot, I don't know if, you know, the Pacific Northwest Bigfoot does it, but the Southern Bigfoot does travel more in 4x4 mode, and I think that's more to uh, get across open areas where, you know, there's not no cover. Because, I mean, you think about the siding out here at the the Indian Casino where the Bigfoot walked up behind the building. You know, there's large areas there that there's no trees. I mean, it's just plains, you know, rolling hills with plains, grass, you know, stuff like that. How do you think a Bigfoot gets across there without being seen from a mile away? So they, you know, so they must be comfortable, you know, in 4x4 mode. Yeah, you know, it's getting down in 4x4 mode because then it's about the same height as the grass and can move without being seen that much. So, you know, uh, it all goes back to we got to take each little piece of the puzzle and put it together to make the big, the big picture. So, and uh, does Bullet, your sensor tech, got anything to add on that? Uh, I'd like to jump there and add something when when you were talking about the. Uh, the babies, you know, that one photograph of mine that shows, I call it the three Bigfoots in one picture. Uh, when you enlarge that picture, it zooms in on that baby's face. And uh, that definitely shows the characteristics. It looks like a uh, uh, a chimpanzee in the face, except it's got heavier features. In other words, just, you can see the uh, lines across its forehead. Um, there's, uh, so many reports of, uh, babies that, uh, that proves that there is, they're populating, you know, they're reproducing, rather words. Yeah. Now, that particular picture, it looked to me like she had it straddled against her breast, because he's looking over her shoulder at the camera, and, uh, uh, and, of course, the reports I had 
I'd written about about the one set outside the trailer that morning that looked like he was about four foot tall. Might have been a six or seven year old, and uh, you know, like a human child. Yeah. Height and maybe that that ability, and I could have solved the mystery a long time ago, but I just I just refused to shoot a a, a child, you know. Yeah. Uh, but they're they're there, and we'll we'll eventually get. Uh, get good authentication to prove that they are there. I've, uh, I've got a photo here in the house, a, a painting, in other words. It's, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, Darren. I know Randy's seen it. Uh, it's it's a big picture in a frame, and the picture is split in half. It's uh, it's sort of a, looks like a acrylic painting. And what it is, it's got six Indian faces in each photo. So that picture has 12 Indians in it, and uh, you've got to pick them out. And I've had people sit here for hours and only count four, but there's six in each picture. When I point it out to them, well, then they can see them. Well, Bigfoot's... Oh, are we losing? I think we might have. Yeah, sure did. We'll have to keep an eye on him to call back. Well, that's all right. If I know Doug, he'll finish his story and tell another one before he'll realize he's off the phone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, yeah, I, th- I think what Doug was uh, talking about, too, on that Indian picture is mm-hmm. uh, what they call matrixing. You know, you, you look at a picture and your brain comprehends, you know, images what they what they resemble. Yeah. And of course when he's pointing out which ones are it is to everybody, then their brain comprehends, hey, yeah, there's where they're at. And that happens a lot with uh pictures that are sent to us for peop from people that's wanting them authenticated. You know, they see something that doesn't really uh fit in what their mind has been trained to see. Yeah. And, you know, and to us, we're sitting there looking at it, and it's like, well, you know, it does resemble a face, but there's leaves actually blending in with it. So, you know, this is a shadow. Of course, you know, that makes them mad because we're basically saying, you know, there's nothing there. So, uh, you know, that, that matrixing is something that the brain does. And I've actually had people tell me that there's 12, 15 Bigfoot in a picture, just because they're looking at it on a bigger monitor and a better mm-hmm. monitor, and there's no way that you know they're they're seeing things. And it looks like we've got Doug back now. Doug, are you there? Whoops. Uh, but, but that's basically a. Okay. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Did you just get to the end of the story? That's, uh, yeah, I finished it. I just wanted to, and you guys explained it real well about how our minds are at one. Our minds are as one. I think we and lost him again. again. <laughs> but, uh, hell. <laughs> maybe we'll get him back one of these days. Well, I'm surprised other people haven't called in. They must not have anything to talk about. 
Well, I think they're all over in the MABRC chat room talking away. Uh, <laughs> I know. They, they forgot about the radio show. They're just chatting about other stuff. So, But that's uh, you know, that's that's one thing about the MABRC. We, we foster that uh, togetherness and uh, comradeship and, you know, there, there's not really much uh, friction goes on at all within the group. Yeah, and that's good. That's a, that's a pleasant reprieve. Did we lose you too, Randy? Nope, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> I, actually, I can't get on the MABRC. Hey, there's something wrong with my computer, so I'm all you have me is by sound. Okay. And it looks like we might have Doug back this time. Nope. <laughs> Can you hear? Are you there, Doug? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. We'll see if we'll see how long I stay on. I'm, <laughs> I'm on the regular landline now. I don't know, uh, but I had finished my story. Uh, but you guys understood what I was trying to say. How hard it is sometimes to see what's in a picture. Yeah. So, and. I see Ape Bait over here on the MABRC chat. He says, "You know, we're we're still listening. <laughs> so, they're they're still listening over there on the chat room. I, I think they just got fed up with the talk shoot chat room, and it was giving too many headaches. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, overall, you know, we we've got a good group of people. Uh, recently, we had a situation where uh, some financial issues come up for the over the forum and you know a lot of people chipped in and we, we got over that little financial uh burden and uh i like to say thank you to everybody that that contributed uh that really shows how well and how far along we've come as far as being a group so uh and of course we've got banners now uh everybody's probably probably seen the uh, new ads on the, the forum. We've actually started putting some uh, av- advertisement from uh, Google on there. And I, I really ask that, you know, if, if you go to visit the forum, you know, say you visit four times a day, you know, whenever you do show up, just click on one of them ads because we get paid for every one of those clicks. So it, it actually Ooh. helps the forum out. You know, just starting off the bat, uh, the first four days, we've already made five bucks. You know, that may not be much, but you, when you consider, you know, if we get more and more clicks, that, that's really going to add up, and eventually it'll be able to pay for uh, quite a bit of the, the cost for the form and the website. I'd say uh, I'd say everybody clicked on it 100 times a day. then we'd be able to pay for all of our expeditions (laughs) but yeah overall I mean this last little uh, incident I mean everybody pulled together and it it just really made me feel good that that they did awesome so and of course, you know we we got to get a couple more expeditions scheduled because I really would like to get back up to bullets and try out some of these sensors when there there's better weather. <laughs> Hopefully, after turkey season, which is uh, April the sixth through May the sixth, uh, 
once that's over with, of course, that's usually the heavy rains anyhow, and that'll be over with time turkey season's over with, and uh, we can all get back out there and do it again. Maybe another uh, Memorial Day expedition. Yeah. When's that? Uh, uh, Memorial Day, uh, let's see. Last weekend of May, isn't it? Got my map out here. I made my calendar. Let's see what it says on it. But this time, we're bringing mosquito netting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's the 26th of uh, May. Okay. The 20th, uh, I think... That's on a Monday. Oh, okay. So the 24th and 25th would be the weekend. Yeah. So, you know, that would give pretty much a lot of us a three-day weekend. I'd also uh, like to interject something. Uh, a lot of people from in the past uh, on another talk show had made a comment. Uh, well, if there's so many big, if I lived out there, I'd be out there every day. They said, you know, you've heard that talk before. Well, I kind of, I kind of play the sniper boy theory, and that is, if you're out there every day, they're used to you, and you might drive them away. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just go out there occasionally when I feel like when I get that zen mood <laughs> and uh, go sit in a tree, you know. But uh, but I think every day, every day is uh, uh, they see you way before you even. When you're out there, they already see you coming. And me and Randy. Well, I think whatever you're doing is working for you. <clears throat> but I do like how most, I'd say probably 65 to 70% of your stories always ends with the same phrase, I got the hell out of there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mama didn't raise no dummy. <laughs> but I told the wife, I said, uh, I said, if I'm ever killed by a Bigfoot, we got to make sure it's done during uh, hunting season because uh, uh, the NRA, the NRA, they uh, when you join up, you have a million dollar policy on you. If you're killed during hunting season, your 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 uh, survivor gets a million dollars. So we'll just say Bigfoot killed me. We said it was a uh, an irate hunter or something, you know. <laughs> Not telling him it was a mythical beast. <laughs> so but, I can't just drag your body underneath the tree stand and say you fell out of it? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's, uh, you know, we, we, when we, you know, when we have the groups together and stuff, uh, we learn more each time. Uh, in between those periods, though, like, you know, I'll go out there once in a while to the predator to do a lot of predator hunting, but uh, I always I always uh, go to a different place, sit in a different stand, because I do I do think that they that they have the intelligence to to see where you're at and to kind of uh, program you, if you will. They know that they they'll see you come and go and come and go and come and go, and they'll just kind of watch that area and kind of avoid it, but but look at it from afar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, Eight bait just said to uh, tell Bullet to tell his wife that she saw Dick Cheney in the woods. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. That, that's why he got shot. Dick Cheney was running around down there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, Eight. That was that was a pretty good one. So. Uh. But yeah, we're we're definitely going to have to get back down there. Cause, uh, but one thing that we learned last year during Memorial Day was 
the mosquitoes down there. <laughs> it looked <laughs> like a cloud coming across that field. Oh, gee, yeah. So, uh, yeah I, I like to uh, say that these creatures are curious. Uh, I, uh, I told Randy about how I was back here behind the house cutting wood one uh, one fall day, and uh, I had cut a, a tree up. It was probably made of about a rick and a quarter, and I was hauling that wood out a little at a time when I happened to look over at this at this uh, Sasquatch sitting on the side of the hill watching me, and he looked just like a, a burnt black stump with a crown on it. And so just to make sure it was what I thought it was, I didn't make contact. I had my uh, rifle with me, and I, I went on doing my chores, you know, picking up the cut-off uh, logs, putting them in the back of the trailer. And when I left, I watched him out of my peripheral vision, but I never stared at him. So then when I got unloaded and told the wife what it was, I took my camera back with me, and when I went back, he was gone. But he sat there and watched me for a good 45 minutes while I did this uh, loading and splitting the wood right there. He was very curious. And there's no telling how many times people could be out in the woods, like, you know, and we think there's nothing going on, but actually they're just sitting there watching us. We're entertaining to them. That's true. Uh, they, uh, I, uh, that's one thing that we've tried to do down at uh, Skillyville was we do things that get them curious enough to get close to us, and, and we've had a lot of good success doing that. So you know what you're what you're saying is pretty true in my book. <laughs> and yeah. I, I think that's what was uh, so successful for me and uh, Randy and No Mercy and Eager Beaver down there at Hanobi last year, because we gave them something to be curious about. You know, why are these four? Uh, little pink looking guys sitting out here in the middle of nowhere, you know, playing music. So Absolutely. Yeah, yeah not looking at them, that's uh that's pretty key. I was actually told that by another researcher way back when I first started. And he said that he would go into the woods uh and read a book in an area where he knew that they were at and uh he would just kinda of go in there and sit down and just kinda of read a book and he said that after a while he would get to where he would catch movement in his peripheral vision, so he would kind of know when they were coming around to check him out. And, and he said they would slap the trees or, or toss rocks and things like that, trying to get his attention. And he said that they would actually get more and more aggressive in, in those kind of things if he ignored them. He said if he never looked in their direction, it was almost like they were youngsters playing games that, that they just they couldn't believe that you weren't noticing them, that you weren't here and they're hitting the tree. They're, you're not recognizing that they're throwing something, so it makes them do it even more aggressively because that, that you know they're used to getting a response from people in campsites. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I'm gonna cut away here real quick on something. Uh, we just had a new member join up, uh, NWA Extreme. Uh, and and I was just reading his first post. I don't know if you guys have seen the video uh, that is posted on YouTube that I, I posted under the Unknown Creature thread where it looks like a small Bigfoot's going across the road. Yes, I saw that. Well, it appears uh, from t- 
trying to read his first post here. The NWA Extreme is the one that actually took the video. Oh, cool. So he has joined the forum here, you know, and uh, he's even got a picture of the truck that he was in when it all happened. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, I, I recommend everybody, you know, hey, there, there's exciting things going on, and we, we've posted this, and this gentleman actually come over to tell us more about it and just reading what he says, it makes me think that, you know, he probably got maybe a small Bigfoot going across the road. Yeah, I mean, it looks small and bipedal. Yeah, so, you know, he, he might have caught one coming up behind Mama as she had already crossed the road. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know. Well, that's but, awesome. Uh, yeah, I think it's just incredible that, you know, he has he has come to our forum and, you know, let us know this information. Okay, so, well, we're well over now. I said we cut this short, so I can go in and talk to him. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to say thanks to everybody that uh, showed up for the, the show. I apologize for all the the issues with uh, Talk Shoes chat. I think they actually had the same problem on uh, Let's Talk Bigfoot the other night, which reminds me... Uh, Randy, you're going to be on Let's Talk Bigfoot on the 19th of this month, is it? That's right. So, uh, and of course, next week's show of uh, the Bigfoot Field Guide, we're actually going to discuss the the famous uh, Skillyville research site. Uh, we've had quite a few people ask to, you know, have us talk about that. So we're going to really talk a lot about that and some of the research going on down there. Uh and pretty much, uh, I think that's going to be a wrap. I appreciate Bullet and Sensor coming on and, you know, spending some time with us. You betcha. You betcha. So, All right. See you, Doug. Okay. So, see you all later. Okay. Sensor, are you still there? Carl? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Has pre- unmute. Okay. <laughs> uh, appreciate you, uh, coming on the show with us and chatting with us and you know we're going to try to get a uh a little bit of a uh expedition going in uh on memorial day this year back at doug so you know we can get them sensors out there and try them oh yes oh yes so well folks that's uh that's our show for the night uh once again i apologize for any problems y'all had in the chat room but if you want to join the forum, I mean, we've we've got a chat room built into the forum, and we monitor that during the uh, the show too. So, until uh, next week, appreciate it. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.